The epistle lesson appointed for this evening's service is from Paul's second lesson to the Corinthians, beginning at the fifth chapter and reading into the sixth chapter. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless night, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostures, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel reading is from the gospel of St. John, the 13th chapter, and out of respect for Christ, we rise to hear his words. It was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when Jesus had finished washing their feet, He put his clothes back on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
For I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The text for this evening's message is from the gospel lesson that I read to you just a few moments ago, but I want to highlight verses 3 through 5 of John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is our text. St. Paul writes in his letter to the Galatian Christians, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. During this season of Lent, our Lord calls us to turn from our sinful attitudes and our sinful behaviors and to no longer gratify the desires of our flesh. He urges us to repent, to live differently, to walk by the Spirit. Jesus was one who practiced what he preached. Jesus was one who lived by the Spirit. And the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit that were listed by St. Paul in the reading from Galatians that I just read to you were embodied in Jesus' person. They were practiced in his ministry, especially as he prepared for his date with a cross. During this season of Lent and during Holy Week, Nine services and nine sermons are going to focus on the nine fruits of the Spirit as they relate to our Savior and as they relate to you and me. And in order to help us focus in on these fruits of the Spirit, we're going to be adding a different fruit to this great cluster from week by week by week. These fruits of the Spirit are more than desirable attributes for which we strive to put into practice in our life. These are actually attributes 
and attitudes of the heart that every single Christian possesses to a greater or lesser degree. These fruits of the Spirit do not come from instruction or by habit or by practice or by willing ourselves into having these fruits of the Spirit. Oh Lord, just make me more patient, make me more kind. No, that's not how we get it. Rather, these fruits of the Spirit are sown in us when we're baptized in Christ's name. When we were baptized into Christ's death through the waters of holy baptism. You could say that they're really a part of our spiritual DNA. And throughout our life, the Holy Spirit prunes these fruits. He weeds out the weeds that would maybe choke the fruits of the Spirit out of us. Those fruits of the Spirit that are listed in our text as well, like discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and envy. And like a vine dresser, the Spirit of the Lord nourishes us and He nurtures us so that these nine fruits of the Spirit can grow in us. And He does this through repentance as we repent of our sins. He, he does it through absolution as He announces to us that our sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit works in us as we read the Scriptures and study and meditate upon it. As we sing hymns and spiritual songs, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and our lives. As we come to the Lord's table and partake of the very body and blood of Christ, it's, that's another way the Holy Spirit nurtures these nine fruits of the Spirit in us. Tonight, we're going to turn our attention to the fruit of the Spirit called gentleness. Or some Bible translations have it, meekness. Gentleness, meekness. The Greek word, proutes, translated as gentleness or meekness, is, is a quality of a forgiving spirit which does not insist on its own right. It's the exact opposite of roughness or bad temper, sudden anger, seeking revenge. Instead, that word gentleness and, or meekness means having a calmness under provocation having a calmness under provocation. It's like turning the other cheek when we have every right to lash out at the person who's treating us cruelly or unfairly. It's forgiving someone when that person has hurt us and, and they really deserve our wrath. But instead we respond with gentleness, meekness, calmness under provocation. One person observed, meekness and gentleness are not the opposite of courage. It takes courage to be meek and gentle in an evil world. Now, gentleness and meekness is certainly not an attitude that people typically value. Paul Brecher, in his book, The World Upside Down or Right Side Up, commenting on the words of Jesus from the Beatitudes, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He writes, to the world, no statement of the Lord is more patently ridiculous than this one. Any Christian who takes his call to meekness too literally will be left far behind in the dust. No man concerned with ordinary bread and butter security can operate on such a principle. Blessed are the aggressive. 
don't be such a spineless weakling. For once in your life, stand up for your rights. If you're so chicken-hearted, people will walk all over you. Blessed is the man who knows what he wants and sets out to get it, who has the courage to assert himself, to defend his rights and press his claims and demand his dues. That's the creed of the world, isn't it? That's how many people live their lives. Not with gentleness, not with meekness, but asserting their own rights, being bullies. Don't our life experiences tell that out? The bully at work that pushes their way in on everything. The passive-aggressive person that makes you feel guilty about things that is really their fault. Doesn't the squeaky wheel always seem to get the grease? Although, having said that, I did hear one, some, somebody once quipped, sometimes the squeaky wheel gets replaced. <laughs> but unfortunately, the squeaky wheel often does seemingly get what it wants. Don't we find that we're often taken advantage of? If we don't assert our will, if we don't stand up, I mean, if I don't stand up for myself, who will? Gentleness can seem like such a cop-out. Judas Iscariot was certainly annoyed with his Savior, Jesus. I mean, Judas wanted Jesus to wallop those Romans. Judas wanted Jesus to rain down fire and brimstone on the oppressors. And when Jesus exhibited a gentle spirit, Judas took matters into his own hands and he tried to force or press Jesus to, to be more forceful in his actions. And he tried to do that by betraying Jesus. And it didn't work, did it? Jesus remained gentle. Jesus was gentle in spirit. Jesus' mission as our Savior takes place on earth in meekness. It, it takes place in gentleness. Jesus says of himself, and we often hear these words, but not the second part of the words which I'm going to read. We, we hear him say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, he invites people to come to him who are burdened and wearied. Why? Because he's gentle. He's humble in heart. He's going to embrace us. He's going to love us. He's going to share his compassion with us. We see this so often throughout his ministry. His gentleness is evident as he ministers to the broken and to the ashamed and the shamed and the outcast. I mean, his gentle spirit is evident as he talks to the woman at Jacob's well. He could have said to that Samaritan woman, making her really feel bad, what kind of woman do you think you are? I mean, you've been married five times and now you're living with another guy. What's that about? You're not worthy of my attention. You're not worthy of my forgiveness. You're not even worthy of me talking with you. It's no wonder you have to come out here at noontime to draw water because no one else wants to hang around with you. But he didn't do that, did he? He was gentle. He was gentle with her. He conversed with her because he wanted her to drink the living water that wells up to eternal life. And on that day, she drank deeply. 
Or we think about that adulterous woman caught in the act and she's brought to Jesus by her accusers. And he could have looked at her and said, you know what, you're going to get exactly what you deserve. I mean, you are committing adultery. Yes, you should be stoned. But he didn't do that, did he? As our gentle Savior, what did he say? He, he first looked at her accusers and he said, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And of course, they all dropped their stones and walked away. And then he looked up at her and he gently yet unequivocally said, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Then neither will I condemn you. But then in his own gentle way, he said to her, Now go and sin no more. Or think of the father of the boy possessed by a demon whose the father's heart's desire was to have his son healed, but, but he had doubts. He had doubts about Jesus' ability to, to cast out a demon. And he even admitted that doubt to Jesus. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus could have responded, well, if you don't believe in me, get lost. If you've got some doubts, don't hang around with me. But he didn't do that, did he? Instead, Jesus went to that boy and he said, I command, he said it to the demon, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. You see, Jesus was gentle in the way that he dealt with people. And we could go on and on with example after example. But even as he prepares for that day with the cross on Good Friday, he enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding on a he rides into Jerusalem on, on that Palm Sunday day, so to speak. And what does it say in the scriptures above? It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, meek, and riding on a donkey. You see, Jesus entered into Jerusalem that day in a non-violent, non-warlike way. He was not a king who came to overthrow the oppressors like Judas had hoped, but instead he came to bring peace and salvation. And I can just imagine that this very gentle way of Jesus on that day graded Judas to the point that only a short while later he betrays Christ. But before Judas betrays Christ, Jesus takes up the basin and the towel as we heard in the gospel reading. And what does he do? He washes the dirt and the grime off the feet of his disciples. He gently rubs their feet with his own hands and he cleanses their feet. A menial task that they all thought was too, that they were too proud to do themselves. And yet our gentle Lord served them. Yes, Jesus was gentle in spirit, even with the people who deserved harsh treatment. I mean, yes, Judas betrays him and Judas comes out to him and he betrays him with a kiss. And what does Jesus say? Does he slap him across the face? Does he call down fire and brimstone? No. Instead, Jesus looks at Judas and he says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? It was Jesus' gentle way of saying to Judas, it's not too late, man. You may have betrayed me, but it's not too late to believe in me as the Savior, your Savior. His gentleness is even evident on the cross. 
I mean, he absolves people who are taunting him. He forgives his executioners. He liberates a penitent thief. He liberates him to an eternal life in paradise. And what's even more remarkable about Jesus' gentleness and meekness is is that as God's Son, He possesses all glory and power. He can assert His way and demand that people serve Him, can't He? He can seek retribution against His enemies. But instead He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you so that you should do as I have done for you. You see, Jesus' gentleness for us is a byproduct of his love for us. He sees that our sinful nature leads us to be aggressive and to be self-seeking and prideful and hurtful. And yet he sets aside his royal scepter for a shepherd's staff. He replaces his golden crown for a crown of thorns, and he trades a majestic sash for a servant's towel and basin and bowl. Listen to how St. Peter describes the gentle disposition of our dying Savior. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Talk about a gentle spirit. Calmness under provocation. He went the way of the cross so that you and I might live in the love and the forgiveness of our God each and every day. We have been healed. We have been forgiven by the wounds of our gentle healer. And therefore, we too can be gentle as God's Spirit works in our life. You know, as we experience the gentle healing of Christ firsthand, He assures us again and again that even though we sin against Him daily, even by just who we are, yet He still loves us. He still forgives us. He still walks with us. He still promises us victory over death. He promises us everlasting life. And even though he has every right to rebuke us, more often than not, he gently invites us to come to him. We who are wearied and burdened by our sin, by the ways of life, and he gives us rest. That's the way of the gentle Savior. And as we live in his gentleness, as we experience that firsthand, the Holy Spirit nurtures gentleness within us so that, the, so that when we find ourselves being mistreated and provoked to anger by circumstances and by people, instead of lashing out and seeking revenge or saying that mean and obnoxious thing, we think twice maybe three times or four, and we forgive and respond with gentleness, calmness under provocation. 
even when we see our brothers and sisters caught up in a sin. We approach them not with arrogance or with some kind of self-righteous indignation, but instead we approach them with gentleness. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritually mature, should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, Paul says. Yes, even as we see other people turning away from the Lord, we go to them gently with the ultimate attitude of wanting to share the gentle love of our Savior with them so that they may be drawn back to the cross and live in the forgiveness of their Savior. And so tonight we pray, O Holy Spirit, O Holy Spirit, may the gentleness of Christ live in me and may his gentleness be manifested in me. Amen.